Today's scripture reading comes from the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 3, verses 10 through 17. That's the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 3, verses 10 through 17. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can find one in the seat in front of you and turn to page 896. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Hear now the word of the Lord. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he built upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. This is the word of the Lord. All right, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you all and share the word of God with you. Just want to remind you that starting this Wednesday, we are having two weeks of uh, Wednesday class. It's going to be lecture style with question and answers afterwards about how do I know I'm saved. And so I invite you to come join us in person or via Zoom as well. It's just going to be two weeks on how do I know I'm saved, and we're going to go through uh, the book of First John. So looking, looking in the Word to know what evidence we should see if we are saved. Uh, that being said, uh, let's start with a prayer. Living God, help us so to hear your holy Word that we may truly understand, that understanding we may believe, and believing we may follow in all faithfulness and obedience seeking your honor and glory in all that we do through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Last week we talked about how in that passage what started was how Paul couldn't give them milk. I mean, Paul couldn't give them uh, the deep things of God, how he kept them on milk. And then you had thought maybe if you are reading this to go through the deep things to finally get to the deep things of God, you have to wait till maybe chapter 17. There is no chapter 17. But this week, immediately Paul starts talking about these really incredible and deep things of God. And last week in the final verse, this is what Paul ended with. God's fellow workers we are, God's field God's building are you. We saw that the fellow workers of God were Paul and Apollos and even Peter with this illustration of the field and the seeds planted, watered, that God makes grow. And today we go over that last portion of the verse, God's fellow workers we are, God's field, God's building are you. We're going to go over God's building are you. And in verse 10, it says, according to the grace of God given to me, 
Like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. Like a skilled master builder. That's sophos architecton. That's a wise architect. If you were literally to translate a sophos, where we get Sophia is wisdom, and architecton is like what it sounds, an architect. Sophos architecton, a wise architect, or and architecton is from tecton, which means builder, and arch is like chief or the master. And I think this is why this translation is so uh, wonderful. It gets it to the point. It is a skilled master builder. It is a skilled chief builder. And even back in the day, for even large projects, there were a small number of architectons uh, in which they would build, like, even the Colosseum and such. But this is where Paul refers to himself as the master builder, as the skilled master builder. And he says, I, the skilled master builder, laid a foundation. And laid is not in the imperfect tense, like something that happens in the past or something that continues to happen. The imperfect tense is like something like I was walking or I used to walk, but it's in the aorist tense. And in the Greek, the aorist tense is the simple past. It points to a single point in the past that has happened. It's a powerfully definitive term that Paul uses for himself as the skilled master builder. And this is what he's saying. I, Paul, as the skilled master builder, laid the foundation. And if you're listening to it at first glance, it might seem a little arrogant. He's not God, right? He's not Jesus. And in fact, some Greek scholars in the past couldn't help but to see this passage or this statement as maybe a little somewhat arrogant. But is it arrogant, though? In the words before Paul states, this is what he says, according to the grace of God given to me. How was Paul able to skillfully, as the master builder, lay the foundation of God's building by the grace of God granted to him? Why is it prideful to say you are smart if you are actually smart? Isn't it just a statement of fact? Unless, unless you're going around saying that you are of more worth than others because of your intelligence. But the truly humble person knows that it is God who grants gifts to people, including the gift of intelligence. And this is exactly what Paul is doing. Paul is saying God has granted him by His grace, this ability to lay the foundation. God grants Paul to lay the foundation for the church by giving him skill and by giving him the authority as the master builder or as a master builder. And someone else is building upon it. That someone else naturally would appoint it to perhaps, if you're thinking, Apollos. But it can mean anyone who builds upon it. So you see the picture here. And we talked about God's field last week, but this week and this next portion of Scripture, we see that it's anyone who teaches upon the apostolic foundation that has already 
been laid. Because in the very next sentence of this verse, Paul warns, let each one take care how he builds upon it. This warning extends to Apollos, but all of us as well, for are we not all ministers for the Lord Jesus Christ? But it also extends to Paul himself. It extends to everyone. The architecton was the master builder, but back in the day, the master builder also built. So this is where Paul says, take care. Take care is from the word blepo, which is also used in Mark 13, 33. And this is what Mark 13, 33 says. Be on guard. Keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. Be on guard. Keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. Be on guard is the word blepo. And this is what Paul is saying. Take care. Be on guard for how you build upon it is incredibly important. Now, if you understand the language that we're starting with here, the language that's being used, it isn't in arrogance that Paul says these things. It is out of concern. It's out of concern for the listeners or the readers of this epistle, but more importantly, it's out of this dogged dedication. It's out of drive. It's out of zeal. Paul isn't running the Christian race by just hop-skipping, you know, dilly-dallying, like humming tunes. He's not going to get distracted by the things on the sides of the roads. He is running the race to win the prize. He is fighting to win that fight. And he is competing in the games to honor the true emperor and king. Christians don't give up. Christians don't lose hope because there is a promise that the master has given his disciples. And who is that master? In verse 11, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. The foundation that which is laid is Jesus Christ. There is no other foundation that the church is built upon. And this is what Peter says when he was facing the Jewish council, when faced with charges and they arrested him because he was, they were teaching and preaching Jesus and his resurrection from the dead. In Acts 4, this is what Peter says. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is the foundation upon which the church is built. And this is where it must also be clarified, it's not just any Jesus. It's not just any Jesus that you want him to be. Who is this Jesus? It's the Jesus of the scriptures. It's the Jesus of the Bible. This is what we call doctrine. And there are some that may be inclined to think that Jesus and doctrine are different things. Don't give me doctrine. Give me Jesus. As if these two things are things that you shouldn't mix up. But I say that is an incredibly dangerous 
and even foolish statement. If people started to say that I was green and from Mars, they would be incorrect. I am not green. I'm more of a little bit of a pinkish hue, but I'm not from Mars either. I'm from Elmhurst, close to Mars, but it's not Mars. That would be incorrect. I am not just whatever anyone wants to say about me. In a similar way, you can't say anything about Jesus in whatever manner you please. And who tells you who Jesus is? The Word of God shows us who Jesus is. And this is why the church for many millennia has held on to the Word of God and what it has shown us about Jesus Christ. The Word of God gives us and gives to us who Jesus Christ is. Why is this important? Because if the foundation is corrupted, what you have not is the church of God. If the foundation is corrupted, what you have not is the church of God. You have something else. If the foundation is not Jesus of the Bible, and not, the, and not just bits and pieces of the Bible, as you think deem, is deemed worthy. It's like, mm, this doesn't seem right to me by your own standards. It's Jesus of the whole Bible. If that's not your foundation, you do not have Jesus and you are not building on the rock because there is no one else on which we build. And if you're listening to this, this shouldn't be anything new. To those that have been with us from the beginning of the sermon series where Paul commands believers to speak or say the same thing, have the same doctrine in church, and the fervor by which Paul says these things are not to be missed, and his words are not to be taken lightly. And if you're listening, you might be thinking, but wait, how can then there be so many denominations with so many different doctrines? Now, it's a good question. Good question. So we'll move on. <laughs> In verse 12, Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. I'm going to explain that. I'm going to answer that question too. Why are there so many different kinds of churches? Well, it says here, some are of gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw. There are different kinds of materials. And we have to evaluate these materials. You know, there's a children's story that many of you might be, probably are, and should be familiar with. It's a story about three pigs who each built a house. And if you're familiar with the story, one house built it with straw or hay, the other one with sticks, and the last one with bricks. And the wolf comes to eat the pigs. He finds that he can huff and puff and blow the house down, especially if it's made with hay and then with sticks. In the actual children's story, he eats those pigs. I think um, the cartoon version, they escape to the next house. And it's the pig who built his house with brick that survives. 
Before the children's story was ever written, though, there is the written word of God that teaches us that we too, we build on a foundation. That we must also make clear that everyone building on this foundation, let me get this point out there first, everyone building on this foundation is saved because they have Christ as their foundation. If you have Jesus Christ as your foundation, you will go to heaven. But the materials by which you can build your house can and do vary. And this is what the Word of God is saying. And in this life, you will have many materials by which you can build your house. However, however, not every material will last. And if you read the passage carefully, you'll notice that there are basically two kinds of material. Combustible and non-combustible. And why is that significant? Because there is a test that comes, and that test is by fire. You can build your life on these combustible materials, or you can build your life on gold, silver, and other precious metals. You can build with cheap things that will be really quick, and just like that pig, you can build that house and then go out to play because the cheap things are really easy to build and don't take that much time. You don't have to think that much. But the cheap things will burn up just like that. Or you can build with things that the Lord teaches his disciples to obey. Again, it points to doctrine. And the Reformation Study Bible says this about these verses. The perishable materials may be interpreted as either unsound teaching or the superficial and ephemeral ephemeral converts that such teaching attract for a time. This is why belonging to a church with proper teaching that doesn't sway with the culture of the world, but rather stands on the Word of God is so important. You know, time and time again, I hear from more and more people, unfortunately, challenges to the inerrancy and infallibility of the Word of God. And I start to wonder now, why is it so important to you that the Bible is errant and fallible? Why is it so important that you state that the Bible has errors and is not ultimately authoritative? My question to those people would be, which part of God's word can you not follow? And if you tell me that, let me show you how Jesus is made perfect in the entire word of God. Why are there so many different kinds of churches? Some are of gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. I think the better question is, which one is CGS? Which one is CGS? I mean, we'll find out. The fire is going to come. We'll find out. But I know which one I want us to be. And then there are these incorrect, unbiblical ideas of heaven that have been propagated. And if you believed any of those, that's why these verses don't make much sense. I'm just going to go to two popular views. Number one, there's this view that as, when you die, you go up to the pearly gates of heaven. And in, in the pearly gates of heaven, you see St. Peter. It's not just Peter. You have to call him St. Peter. St. Peter is there. 
And what he's going to do, he's going to stop you right before the gates, and he's going to have a list. And it's going to be a list of the good things that you have done versus the bad things you have done. And if the good things outweigh the bad things, you can enter. St. Peter here is like a bouncer to the most exclusive club. This is a most popular secular view of heaven And we see TV shows based on this kind of premise, these ideologies. Very popular comedies on the things, like you weigh the things, right? The good versus the bad. And there are many Christians also that are duped into thinking that this is how you get to heaven. And that's so sad because the Bible never talks about that. The Bible shows us that if you believe in Jesus Christ, you are qualified. Your works don't get you into heaven. Jesus' works do. Jesus' sacrifice gets you into heaven. And Peter won't be outside. He'll be inside worshiping God. He don't got time for that, being a bouncer. Are you kidding me? Another, Another popular view is that this may be about you, these verses may be about you being punished for your sins, because you may have forgotten to confess them. That's why during the time of confession, it's like, oh, i got to get every single thing. Otherwise, you know what? God's going to hold it against you. Ah, you forgot to confess this sin, didn't you? At 10.59 p.m. last night, you did this, and you had this thought. Hence, the idea of purgatory emerges. Nothing about that is biblical. Don't you know that there is no condemnation for those that believe in Jesus Christ. What sins? Are there sins that you have committed that Jesus' blood did not cover? Was his sacrifice not sufficient enough for all your sins? Even the ones that you forget to quote-unquote quote unquote, confess? So what is this test about? What is this test of fire? Is this a test for punishment? What is this test? In verse 14, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved. By the skin of his teeth, I made it, but only as through fire. If your work survives, it's so that you will receive a reward. The test for Christians is for a reward. This is why Paul runs so hard. And you might be thinking after you hear this, doesn't it kind of cheapen the race if all you're doing it for is for a reward? Good question. Maybe so. If Jesus actually didn't say in Revelations chapter 22, and behold, I am coming soon, blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy in this book. That means what God commands you, you keep, and Jesus calls you blessed for that. In verse 12, he even says, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. When you serve in the cabinet uh, or staff of the President of the United States, and if you've ever watched this show, um, West Wing, it's a really old uh, political drama Every time you have a staff member serve, they do repeat it. If you serve in, in the cabinet or the staff of the President of the United States, it's known that you serve 
at the pleasure of the president. You serve at the pleasure of the president. That means he could fire you anytime he wants, and that's fine, because you serve at his pleasure. In Paul's time, the emperor would hold these games, and you would serve and compete at the pleasure of the emperor or king. Winners would get to ascend to where the emperor was and they would receive this laurel wreath. And you might have seen these pictures of a leaf-like wreath that, you put, that are put on the head. That was the victor's crown. Okay, So when you compete in these games and you win, you get to ascend and the emperor is the one that places this laurel wreath on your head, the victor's crown. And if you wanted to please the king, you would serve him in a manner that would please and honor him. So yes, you can be a Christian and do things that will not last. Are you not also doing that right now? Was not the Corinthian church doing that as well? And that will not earn you a prize. You will be wasting your time. And you see the notion here, the attitude here, the picture here, the narrative here is showing, why in the world would you want to do that? This is Paul's exhortation to the church. And it's at Jesus' return that we will see most clearly, because it will be by fire, what will last. And he is telling you what will last. If you're working, aren't you working towards something? Paul clearly states that it's for a reward. It's for reward. So what's this reward? Is it a crown? My answer is twofold. Number one is yes. And number two is kind of. Okay. When someone would receive a crown, it wasn't just some hunk of metal, albeit it might be like a precious metal, right? Laurel crowns came with notoriety. It came with money. It came with status. It came with a closer proximity to the emperor, amongst many other things. So is, is it a crown? Yes, that in the very least, it's one of the rewards mentioned in the Bible multiple times. So what kind of crowns? I'm just going to go over a few things that the Bible mentions about crowns. Later on in this book, in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24, it says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. The crown that we are running for is an imperishable crown. The perishable wreath ran out, especially when the next games began, right? So the next Olympics start, then you have to run again. But this is for an imperishable crown. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19 to 20 says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our joy and for you are our glory and joy. Paul calls the church in Thessalonica his crown. It's a crown of glory and joy. Second Timothy 4 8. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all those, all who have loved his appearing. There's a crown of righteousness. Righteousness, a perfect and complete relationship with God. 
1 Peter 5, 4, and this is for the elders, the exhortation, the elders of the church. When the chief shepherd appears, he's talking to many shepherds, pastors and elders, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Elders who shepherd well will also receive an unfading crown of glory. This is incentive for the elders to finish and complete the race well. Don't barely make it by the skin of your teeth. Barely squeezed into glory. Serve well. James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. There is a crown of life for those that love him that God promises. And this, these are not just exhortations here that Paul gives. Jesus Christ himself says in Revelation chapter 3, I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. Jesus exhorts the churches to hold fast to the work that you have been commissioned to do. Don't let anyone seize the reward that you are working toward. Don't you see? Every single person here is a minister of Christ. You have a reward set before you. That's what you are working toward. And Jesus says, so that no one may seize your crown. Hold fast to what you have. What is the gifts that Jesus has given you? Are you using it to further build his church? Are you using it for his glory? Or are you just sitting on your butt letting it fade away. That's the exhortation Jesus Christ is giving his church. In 2 John verses 1 through 8, it says, Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. So why are you wasting your life on wood, hay, and straw? Why are you doing things that take you away from Christ? Things that are of gold, silver, and other precious stones are things of Christ. They're the ones when we're following and obeying his ways. Remember, even the great commission Jesus gives to his disciples is to teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. That's the great commission. Why are we taking that out when we evangelize? Just believe in Jesus. Do whatever else you want. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Don't waste your life on the frivolous things. Why? Because there's a lot of whys in this sermon. Why? Because that's what the next verse answers. Verse 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Why? Don't you realize who you are? You are God's temple, and God's Holy Spirit dwells within you. In the Old Testament, God would tell his people that he is a jealous God. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 5, when he's giving the Ten Commandments, he says, You shall not, and this is referring to the idols, you shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord, I the Lord your God am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. God is a jealous God. He deserves worship. 
And the sacrificial system that the temple had were so strict that the worship was so sacred that if anyone would even enter the Holy of Holies, they would die. Even a priest, and that was the one person that can enter once a year, even the priest who was commissioned to enter, if he entered with a sinful heart, he would also die. That's why the Holy of Holies was covered up with a curtain, and when he entered, they put a rope around him because times he died. There was sin, so they had to pull him out because no one else could go grab him because if they also went in, they would also die. Now, what is more sacred? The physical structure, a man-made building, or the spiritual structure that God dwells in? And the scripture answers right away in verse 17. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. You here is plural. Temple is singular. The scriptures are referring to you being the church. God will not take lightly those who would hinder, stumble, or damage God's church. In fact, he says that he will destroy them. When you don't follow God's commands, the doctrines laid out in Scripture, you are destroying the church. When you don't say the same thing and cause division, strife, and jealousy, you are destroying the church. And God's punishment isn't arbitrary. The punishment will fit the crime. And that's why we don't take service to God lightly. Because God doesn't take it lightly. I have a great concern for those that take Jesus Christ or the scriptures lightly. Well, Jesus Christ, he's just my buddy. Or the scriptures like, if I want to believe in. If there's something tough, I'll kind of struggle. I have a great concern for those that take Jesus Christ or the scriptures lightly, and I pray that you don't take it lightly either. Do you take the holiness of his temple as seriously as God does? It's right there in the word. In Revelations 4.10, the 24 elders cast their crowns before the throne. And this is where we see a picture of the church come together and worship God. And we see where crowns kind of fit. And I don't know the full picture of what that crown will entail, but the Bible does show us some things. And in Revelations we, in Revelation, excuse me, it says that the elders cast their crowns before the throne. Apparently, crowns are even used to further worship and glorify God. And that is the heart of the disciple of Christ. The reason why I run the race so hard to win it, the reason why I have so much passion and fervor, the reason why we should take the temple so seriously is so that we can further glorify God and worship Him, for He is worthy to be praised. The 24 elders fall down before Him who is seated on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created." We were made to worship God. We are given these things, these exhortations, so that we see what we were made for. 
Don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. If you're wasting your life on things that won't last, when the test of fire comes, you know it's just wood, hay, and straw. Stop wasting your life. Build upon the solid rock the foundation that is Jesus Christ. If you have not fully given your life to Him, the Bible is exhorting you. The Holy Spirit is, <clears throat> excuse me, giving you this um, imperative to build on the rock that is Jesus Christ. There is no other name by which we have salvation. The conviction that you have is from the Holy Spirit. And it's upon His unfailing word that we build things that will not perish. And this is how you do it. And it goes all the way to chapter 1. You live the holy life that you are called to live. Saints, you're not called saints for any old reason. God has called you to live a life of holiness and he's exhorting you to build upon the rock that is Jesus Christ with things that will not fade so that your reward will be great. Let's pray. Lord, many times we have to admit that we have been dilly-dallying, skipping, paying attention to other things instead of running the race as we should have. We ask God that you would forgive us for our lax attitude and not having the drive, not having uh, the passion, the dedication that you call your disciples to have. Help us to be a good witness by living rightly, by living in holiness aiming to please our one and true master. We pray, God, that you would be with this church. May this church be pleasing to you and our worship fragrant to you. And I ask, God, that you will receive the glory now. In Jesus' name.